Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 10.30 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now, here's this week's message from Hollyview Church as Pastor Joel continues in the book of 2 Samuel. He's in chapter 5 this week with the message entitled, Lord of the Breakthrough. All right, if you have a Bible, uh, I'd encourage you to get it out. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in your pew. Uh, and we're going to be on two, page 240 in your pew Bibles this morning. So we'll be in 2 Samuel in chapter 5 this morning, page 240. Uh, we've been in this series in uh, 1 Samuel all through the, the winter and spring. And now in the fall, we're going to do 2 Samuel up until the time of uh, Christmas. And it'll lead, you'll actually see, David leads right into Christmas, like a really cool ways that's going to put a lot of pieces together uh, for us as a church as we celebrate the coming of Jesus as a baby. Uh, so I'm looking, looking forward to that. We're in, in chapter 5 this morning. I'd like to begin by reading God's Word. We're just going to read the first five verses of chapter, uh, chapter 5. 2 Samuel 5 and verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. We're brothers with you. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. We'll stop right there for right now. Uh, as we begin, we see the nation of Israel is finally unified under God's anointed king. Uh, it says, it tells us that David began to reign at age 30, and he reigned for 40 years. Now this sets up our, our, both of our stories that we're going to look at today. Uh, David was 30 years old, reigned for 40 years. So the author is actually giving us this perspective of the stories we're about to read at the end of David's life. He, he, you see that. So 70 years goes by, and, and the author wants us to know that. The lifespan of David is 70 years. But now looking back, he's going to give us uh, two stories. Because he knows the ups and downs of David's life. He knows how it's going to end. And as he looks back on these two stories, he's going to uh, show us in two ways this morning that when David looked like he had it all together, there was actually some, some hidden uh, rot going on in his life. But when David looked actually his weakest, like he was so dependent on the Lord, so, so humble, that's actually when the Lord broke through uh, the strongest. So when David was at his, uh, like his strongest, he's actually at his weakest. But when he was at his weakest, the Lord was at his strongest. So we'll see these uh, two stories today, and it'll actually point out the decisions that we're making right now in life. We can look around and see, man, I think I'm doing pretty good, uh, but if there's something underneath all of that, uh, there could be this rot going on that you don't even know about until the end of 
your life looking back and go, oh, those decisions weren't, weren't the best. And so we'll expose those in the stories this, this morning. But before we do that, let me, let me stop again and pray. Lord, as we come to your, your word, we get so many voices uh, thrown at us throughout the week. And it's draining, it's tense-filled, we have to... Uh, navigate and negotiate all, all these ideas and uh, problems and tensions and words that we get. Lord, I pray that you would calm all those words now, that you would quiet them so that your word could be most powerful. Lord, that whatever uh, reason that someone is here this morning, that you would speak to them specifically. That they wouldn't leave here the same as when they came that they would have had an encounter with, with you that uh, encouraged them and filled them up in areas that they feel drained and empty or, or challenged them in areas where they feel really strong and confident when they shouldn't be. So Lord, I pray that your word would be alive and active just like you promised, that you'd open our eyes so we'd see what you'd have for us, open our ears so we could hear and soften each one of our hearts so that we can understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at these two stories of David. They're actually two battles uh, of David. Um, one of them, it looks like everything is going great. In worldly standards, you're like, yeah, David's on top of his game. Uh, but it's actually at that moment that David's made these little small decisions that, that are beginning to rot his inside. And, and we know that at the end of his life because of those decisions, it, it becomes his downfall. But then uh, we get another story uh, of David. He's a complex character. Another story of David when, when actually he is very humble and dependent on the Lord. And it's in that moment that, boy, the Lord breaks through and the Lord gets all the glory in that. Uh, but before we look at these two battles, I actually want to give you another story uh, of a man in a stronghold, uh, what seemed like he was really strong, uh, and even like boasting and, and taunting and, and doing some smack talk to th this other army, and what actually became his weak uh, point. Uh, there's a castle in Slovenia. Uh, we can have a picture of that castle. It is my favorite uh, castle in is it up there? This right here? Do you see it? Is it not there? There it is. Do you see that castle? Uh, this, is my, this is one of my favorite castles in Slovenia. It's called uh, Predjamski's Grad. Predjamski means before the, before the cave's castle. Uh, this, this castle was uh, built right into a side of a cliff. High below that, there's this huge valley, and below that, there's these tunnels that go for miles all around. Predjamski's uh, Grad. It's one of my f favorite castles because if you wanted to show a demonstration of power in the Middle Ages, there it is right there. I mean, how could you ever defeat that? Well, there's this guy named Erasmus who was kind of like a Robin Hood of the 1500s. Uh, he would go and steal from the Habsburg Empire and the kings, and then he would return to his castle and think, oh, I'm safe in here, I, I'm powerful. He'd go and rob and steal and come back uh, and hide out in his castle, thinking no one can ever get to me here. Well, the, the armies of those kings finally had enough and said, we're done with you. So they took the army and they laid siege at this castle. Well, this is on a cliff, and all around it, there's nowhere to get out. So they put the army all around and said, we're just going to wait him out. We'll starve, we'll starve Erasmus and his men 
out of here and then we'll, we'll win. He'll finally be done uh, robbing from us. What they didn't know is that at the back of this castle, there's actually a cave that leads to the other side uh, of the mountain. So a week went by, and this army is waiting for Erasmus to run out of food, and he doesn't. Uh, a month goes by, and he doesn't. Uh, six months goes by. A year goes by, and Erasmus is still doing just fine in this castle. Uh, in fact, on the other side of the mountain, there was this cherry grove, and they would go out and collect baskets of these cherries and bring them all back in. Uh, and so as they were in the castle and this army is waiting down, they would uh, taunt them with these cherries. Mmm, we have so much to eat. They'd even be like taunting them down, be like, oh, are you hungry? You want some cherries? We have extra. We have so many cherries. We just keep eating all of these uh, cherries. Taunting them, smack talking, I'm sure laughing along the whole way. And this army going, how in the world are they getting all this food? Well, eating cherries after cherry after cherry after cherry. <laughs> oh, see, some of you know where this is going. Uh, you're eating so many cherries, it, it, it comes in, it has to go out some way, and, and all those cherries goes out actually really fast uh, several t times. And that's what happened to Erasmus. He, he actually ended up in uh, the toilet, the outhouse room, which was the very far away room up there. Um, he ended up sitting on the toilet for long times, and so the army actually, uh, he was most exposed on the toilet, and so they actually ended up killing him. Some say by arrow that was shot up there, some say by, by cannon. Now knowing the end of Erasmus, and the army finally made it in, uh, knowing the end of Erasmus and the, the story of the cherries uh, paints a different picture than when you go back and think about the cherries. Ah, oh, look at these cherries. Mm, you want the cherry? Knowing that what his pride and what he thought, man, I am so strong, we have so much stuff, actually was every cherry that he ate was leading him to his downfall. Do you see that? Each cherry was like, okay, go keep eating them. Those little decisions led to his downfall. What appeared to be a show of Erasmus' strength, look what I got, there's no way you can touch me up here, would actually lead to his failure. It looked like power, but internally, stuff was happening. <laughs> a rot was, was happening. Now as we return to our text today, and we're going to see these uh, two stories, we're going to see the same principle at work. When it looked like David was at his strongest, when he's taunting, you can't get me, was actually when he was at his weakest because there's this internal rot going on in him, these little decisions that would lead to David's downfall. Well, so let's look, uh, if you will, in 2 Samuel 5. We're going to start in verse 6 and read to 16 as we see this first uh, story, this first battle of, of David. Uh, this first battle of David gives him external glory. He's on top of the world but you'll see that there's, there's this internal decisions, this internal rot that's happening in David. Verse 6. And the king, David, and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame, they'll ward you off, thinking, David can't come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is in the city of David, and David said on that day, Whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. 
And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the Milo inward. That's like a scaffolding uh, retaining wall for the cities. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. And these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shammuah, Shovav, Nathan, Solomon, Ivhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphilet. Stop right there. Uh, this story feels to be David's at the top of his game. When we look at it with worldly standards, he has unified the nation. He has defeated this battle in like this strategic way. Uh, there was no way in other than this water uh, area. And so he knew that because he had grown up in that area. So he had all his army go in there. They defeat him uh, pretty easily. The this, this smack-talking Jebusites just got their lunches handed to them. And David let them know. He did some smack talk back. Go kill all the blind and, and lame. But he's not talking about the blind and the lame. He's actually throwing the smack talk back in his face. Uh, even this king from far away hears about David's might and power and goes, oh man, let's honor this, this king. Let's build him a house. So they send all this equipment and materials to build David a house. And it's got to be uh, an impressive uh, house. He has all these women and concubines and wives, and he's occupying his time with them because there's lots of babies being born. You just see money, sex, and power. David's at the top of the game. He's got the glory. He's got the girls. He's got the gold. What more could he want? I mean, he's waited for years. Remember that? All this winter and spring, we talked about him waiting to become king. And now that he's king, it's like the people are coming out of the woodwork to honor and raise him up. And it's almost like David's like, yeah, this is kind of good. I, I, I kind of like this. He's reached the top. Uh, but the way even the author in 2 Samuel has written it down, uh, he knows the end of the story. And, and he knows, boy, when David feels like he's really strong, it's actually when these small decisions that maybe no one else sees at that time, but it's starting to, to rot him. Internally, the this, this sin of, of David is going to begin to eat away at him. He, you see, when David's finally made king, God's anointed king, there were some instructions given to him a long time before in the book of Deuteronomy that when you get into the land, here's what your king is supposed to look like. Uh, if you want to turn, it's be in Deuteronomy 17. Otherwise, just, just listen along. It'll be up on the, uh, the screen as well. Deuteronomy 17, starting in verse 14. It says, when you come to the land the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, okay, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose, one from among your brothers. He has to be bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh, a, a brother. You shall, not set a, you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself 
or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of the kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of the law approved by the Levitical priest. So when you set a king over you, here's the instructions. Here's the job description for the king that's going to come rule over you. He's supposed to get a scroll, and he's supposed to have the copy of God's word. And as he sits on the throne, what is he supposed to do? He's just supposed to write the words of the Lord. He's a scribe. In fact, the Levites are supposed to be over him that they approve this. Uh, He's supposed to write these words so that as he leads the people, as he governs them, as he makes decisions, he he has the words of the Lord in his mind and on his heart. And and if he did, then Deuteronomy 17 would be some of those words that he writes. And, And he should not acquire for himself many wives. And what do we see David doing? Acquiring wives. Uh, the, the horses are a symbol of, of power. Uh, the gold and the riches, it's, it's all about me and what I want. David, he's got the whole nation in front of him. He can do whatever he wants to do. In worldly standards, he's like the Hollywood movie star of the year f- for a decade. He can do anything he wants, whatever he wants to do. He has political power, military power. He can do whatever he wants. And what is he supposed to do? Follow the Lord. But what everyone else looks at, like foreigners look at, and go, wow, he's really on top of his game. Uh, Actually, compared to the word of the Lord, there's something going on that's not right. I'm going to point out just two cracks in David's character at this moment uh, that actually, as we see the story of David rise and fall and rise and fall, at the very end you'll see that these two uh, sins uh, are what become his his downfall. Uh, The first one is pride. Pride. The Jebusites, they're living in uh, Jerusalem, and David comes up and they're like, ha, we could get rid of our whole army and put... Blind people and lame people at all their outposts, and we could still ward you off. Basically, he smacked, this is like smack talk for ancient Israel smack talk. You're weak. Can't do anything. You're nothing. So how does David respond to this? He smack talks back to them. Oh, okay. If you're blind and lame or at our thing, we're going to go kill all of them. Look how powerful I am. You think you can stop me? You can't. I'm way, I'm way stronger than you. Uh, he, he throws it back in, in their face. You, you think you can beat me? Think again. I'm much stronger than you. And even after that, this king of Tyre, he sends all this stuff to David to build him a great house. And it says in our story, and I emphasize it in our reading, that David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and exalted his kingdom. And, and at that moment, you're like, yeah, but whose kingdom really should it be? Isn't it the Lord's kingdom? Isn't it the kingdom of God that, that should be exalted, not David's kingdom? It's like David wants to make himself a great name. This, this pride would actually lead to his downfall. This pride that seems innocent enough, seems like, boy, top of the, top of the game, but at David's highest thing, he's, he's 
all not dependent on the Lord. He's dependent on himself. I can, I can do this. This is pride. Now, the second crack that we begin to see is lust. Lust is an intense desire for an object, while you may have a significant amount of that already. You, you want more. It's not just sexual. It could be for money or food or power or fame. It's a craving that occupies your mind and your actions and bends your heart so that your desire is for that. We see David. He wants more and more wives. When he was in Hebron, he got a bunch of wives. He had a bunch of kids. And now he's in Jerusalem and he's acquiring even that sound of acquiring more wives. He's never going to have enough. So he's occupying a large portion of his time uh, than sleeping with all of these wives and concubines. We're having all kinds of kids. It's like every time he turns around, he has another, another kid. But it's never enough for David. He bigger family, bigger power, uh, more sex with these women. His heart is slowly being turned. And that lust is going to lead to David's downfall. You see, these two things, pride and, and lust, are really, it's, it's all about me, and it's all about what I want. It's all, about, it's all about me, and it's all about what I want. And those two emphasis, those two character things inside begin to rot at David. But not just David, right? It begins to rot at all of us. It's the clear example, we can just look on the news, Right? Uh, those, those three things of, of power, sex, and money, every day you see people falling of them. People that could have anything they want, go anywhere they want, and yet, and yet these underlying things that are rotting them, this pride and lust and wanting more and more, ends up emptying them out and just breaking them. It's a warning to all of us as well, isn't it? We, we put on our Sunday best. You guys all look really nice today. We want people to uh, see a certain story of us. We shape an image on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, boy, isn't my family perfect? But inside, uh, there's areas of slow, like, rotting away. On the outside, people look and go, man, he's got it all. But those small decisions on the inside are, are leaving you empty or, or chaotic. Well, that first battle... The author really wants us to see, uh, with David's external glory, he's got it all, but, but actually there's this internal rot because of this pride and, and lust. But there's a way to expose that. There's a way to get rid of that so that God's power can break through not only David's life, but your life as well. And that's the second battle that we, we see in verse 17. So David's defeated the Jebusites. He's in the stronghold. Uh, and then the Philistines, his longtime enemy, who have been there forever, end up camping in a valley and going to uh, try and attack David as well. We read about the story in verse 17 uh, until the end of the chapter. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of the Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord. We haven't seen that, have we? And David inquired of the Lord. Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord 
has broken through my enemies. Before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of the place is called Baal Perazim. Perazim means breaking through. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, Shall I not go up? Uh, oh, say, David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall not go up, go around to the rear, and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him, and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. So the Philistines, they, they hear uh, of David's anointing and the kingdom coming together, and they go, boy, our longtime enemy is now united. What's going to stop them now? We better go attack them before they get strong. So, the, so they get the whole army together to camp in the Valley of Rephaim. Uh, the Valley of Rephaim, in your Bibles, you might have a little footnote. Rephaim means giants. It's the Valley of the Giants. Philistines in the Valley of the Giants going against David and Israel. Now, if you've been with us, you remember this story, the valley of the giants against David, David and against a giant. You remember that story? That's David and Goliath. Of all the places, of all the people, of all the things, David could have been like, oh yeah, I got this. I already defeated Goliath. I can go down there and take this. But he doesn't. We see him humbly inquire of the Lord. And then we see God breaking through like a flood to defeat his enemies. And at the end, God gets all the glory, not David. And so the author, he gives an, another picture of David's life uh, in the battle of the Philistines. Uh, David, a man who is credited with following the Lord, giving his whole life to him, gives, gives an example uh, right next to the other one uh, of how uh, this internal rot or, or this emptiness can be exposed. Uh, we see two observations of the life of David that resulted in him bringing victory or power in, in, over his enemies. The first thing we see is his humility. Humility. Twice in our story, it says that David inquired of the Lord. He recognized that he, he doesn't have it all figured out. He recognizes that he needs the Lord. So he comes to him. Hey, uh, can you help, please? What, what am I supposed to do here? He's the king. He can do anything he wants, and yet he comes to the Lord and inquires of the Lord. Uh, should I go up? Before he commands the army, before he takes any action, he spends time alone with the Lord. It would have been so easy to just assume, yeah, the Philistines, I'm supposed to beat these guys. I'm just going to go do it. But David acts humbly. And I think any real victory or display of power in your life it has to start with humble prayer. If you want to see the Lord break through your life, uh, to, to break your heart and to bring you to that place, we really need to start with humble prayer. We, we don't start with my display of power, or I'm going to try it, or I'm going to do this. It's a simple prayer, and it's a simple prayer asked over and over again. Lord, would you help me today? Would you instruct me? Would you tell me where I'm supposed to go and how I'm supposed to talk and how I'm supposed to respond to that situation? It's the example of the king who humbles himself under the Lord's right hand. That humility actually 
stops or exposes the rot of, of that pride. The second thing we see that David does is he's dependent on the Lord. He's dependent on the Lord. You know, uh, when we think about breakthroughs in our lives or, or uh, the Lord bringing victory, we don't want to struggle with those same sins over and over again, do we? Lord, just remove that from me so that I don't have to deal with that any, anymore. Uh, remove that habit. Remove that struggle. Remove this anger that's in me. Why do I have to struggle with it again and again and again? And we see in our story that, that God breaks through his enemies for David. When he humbly prays and asks him, he breaks through like a flood. The Philistines are gone. They've been defeated. Finally, yes, we have freedom. And then David wakes up the next day, and what does he see? The Philistines, right back in that same valley again. I thought we were done with this. I thought it would, victory, it's over. God broke through. It should be just great. Now I can go on my own, right? God breaks through, breaks my heart, and now it's up to me, and I can, I can go forward. But we don't see that. He wakes up again, and they're the Philistines. Same valley again. So he inquires of the Lord again. And we want the Lord to break through in our lives, to help us overcome struggles and addictions and anger. We pray to the Lord that he will give strength for the day. And when it seems like things are getting better at the end of the day, we wake up and that pride and that lust is like reborn in the morning. And we think, why? Well, I think the strength and the power that we have comes from dependence on the Lord. It comes from dependence on the word of the Lord every morning breaking through our lives. Not, not once and done, like we all got saved and now we're all on our own because we're strong enough to do it. No, the Lord breaks through our hearts and softens our hearts so that each morning we would come to him and go, Lord, I need you. Lord, what am I supposed to do today? And again, and again, and again. I think we want the Lord to bring us victory and then leave us alone a lot of times. Just get rid of that bad thing and just let me be on my own. But really what we need is a new victory from the Lord every day as we grow in relationship and dependence on Him, as we walk and as we live. And when the Lord breaks through and victory Results We see for David, it results in glorifying the name of the Lord. Uh, the first battle, this is just the narrative thing. The first battle, David breaks through, and he's concerned with his name and his house. When he humbles himself to come under the Lord, we'll see the next two chapters actually result in, in David glorifying the name of the Lord in chapter 6. He's concerned about God getting the glory. And then chapter 7, he see that David's finally concerned about, it's not me, let's build God a house. So the first one, this, this pride and lust is all about me and what I want. It results in me glorifying my name and me making this display of power and, and, and control and money and, and everything that the world has. My name, my house. But when David finally humbles himself, his heart's changed, and he wants to glorify God's name in his house. I want to end with uh, just a verse in, in Luke, Luke 9, 23. This is Jesus to his disciples, 
to you and to me. He said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily. Let me, let me pray. Lord, as we come to the end of the service, I pray that you would comfort those who are, who are distraught, who need your touch and healing, who feel weak. Lord, I pray that you would uh, break through with victory in their life where they need it, and that they would learn humble obedience and dependence on you. And Lord, where, where we feel confident and strong and like we got it together, Lord, I pray that you would shake us that you would not allow us to give an outward appearance of what's happening inside is this, this rot. So I pray that you would expose that in our lives. Gently lead us. Uh, redeem us. Heal us. And Lord, that each day we would uh, come to you again and again and again for victory and for direction in life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, Thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.